Hey y'all, and welcome to Southern Fried Pop Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Mandy Kay. And I'm Kelly Lee. Each week we're going to talk about our experiences of Southern culture through the lens of stories that are set in the South, feature Southern characters, or are Southern flavored in some way. And on this show, our structure comes from the amazing theme song that was written by our friend Jazzy Bentley. We'll talk about the movie in three different sections, Southern culture in general, the bless your heart or problematic moments, and the things we love that make us tickled pink. This week, we're talking about The Client. Released in 1994, the movie is based on John Grisham's fourth novel, which was published in 1993, following A Time to Kill, The Firm, and The Pelican Brief, all of which were also made into movies. And according to IMDb, The Client is about a young boy who witnessed the suicide of a mafia lawyer and hires an attorney to protect him when the district attorney tries to use him to take down a mob family. It stars Susan Sarandon, Tommy Lee Jones, Brad Renfro, and Mary Louise Parker. And they all did a great job. They did. This was Brad Renfro's acting debut. Which amazes me because he was fantastic. He was really fantastic. I mean, he really was. I forgot how young he was in just some of the way that he was portraying the character. Mm -hmm. he, He had such an innocence to him, but he also had a hardness. Yeah. Uh, and he, he portrayed it spe- spectacularly. I mean, he really did, especially for a child actor to take on a role like that. He he carried the movie. I mean, I, I just was shocked how talented he was and what a great job he did. So um, in addition to having some feelings for Brad Renfrew when you were younger, right? What was your... <laughs> What was your other experience of Southern culture in this movie? Well, okay, so it's it's complicated because this movie really made me start thinking about what makes Southern culture uniquely Southern. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it Southern culture and not American culture or Midwestern culture or just culture? You know, and we've never really addressed that on this show. We've talked about specific things that are or are not Southern, but we've never really dived deep into the topic. And so I think this movie does warrant a deeper dive because while it is set in the South, there is no inherent Southern culture present. It could have been set in any region without changing anything in the script other than the accents. Yeah. And when you said that to me earlier about a Southern setting not necessarily making a movie Southern, it blew my mind. And so I was like, okay, well, what does make it Southern then? And why did this feel southern to me so I went and looked up John Grisham's bio because I knew him as a writer but I didn't know much about him and he was born in Arkansas but he went to college and law school in Mississippi so he knows what it's like to live in the south but I don't know that he was raised in the south and the thing that struck me as the most southern about the client were the accents and the use of language. So some of that sarcasm and humor, even when things get really hard, some of the banter and, you know, the lyrical phrasing of things. Like, I remember loving the dialogue of the client more than anything. And that was true on this rewatch, too. So what makes a movie Southern in an authentic way other than the setting? And, you know, I'm really thinking about that now because of you. You and I, like, we both read Where the Heart Is as a Southern movie, even though it was set in Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I'm starting to think that it's a completely subjective thing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know that we can objectively quantify what makes something Southern. It's, it's a feeling. It's mm -hmm. an emotion. It's a tradition. Yeah. It's experiencing something in a specific region that you don't think you're going to experience anywhere else, even though I don't know why that is. Like, I don't know why, quote unquote, Southern traditions haven't spread beyond the South, although I think some of them have now that we're in 2018. I, I don't know. Hmm. It, it's a very curious thing to think about. It really is. Because in like in this movie, Reggie and Mama Love both felt authentically Southern to me. Mm -hmm. So I tried to think, okay, why? <laughs> like, why did they, why did they feel like home to me? And I think part of it was they were both strong women who took care of each other. And they didn't think twice about doing whatever they could to protect a child like Mark, who so desperately needed their help. And there was this sense of home and comfort and humor between them that just felt very Southern to me. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I can quantify it. And I don't know that I can say, okay, this feels Southern because it's set in the South or because they got the accents right. And this doesn't because it left out this, 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 and this. I don't know. And I don't know the answer, but I'm really glad that you raised the question because I'm going to start thinking about that for all the movies that we watch in the future. Yeah, because I think this is the first movie we've done where we've really had to question this because previously we've both said, oh, yes, I have personal relatable experience of living in the South to compare to what they're showing in the movie. Right. And for me, at least, this is the first one where that hasn't been true. I mean, probably the closest thing I could come up with is I do remember when I was like nine or 10 going to play in the woods by like a creek. Mm -hmm. That's about it. But that's an experience that that a lot of people not in the South have also had. Right. Yeah, I would say going out and playing in the woods when you were told not to, but that could probably happen anywhere. And right, right. learning how to smoke very young and stealing cigarettes from adults. But again, I don't think that that's authentic, you know, uniquely Southern in any way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm with you on this one. I, I think it was authentic to the human condition. Yeah. I just don't know that it was authentically Southern. I mean, it wasn't inauthentically Southern either. Mm -hmm. um, it just was what it was, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. That's very, very interesting. But it sounded Southern in terms of dialogue and accents and pacing and um, hearing everyone talk just tickles me to no end. Like, I love listening to this movie, but <laughs> I think that's because I'm homesick and it, um, and it just sounds like home to me, but you're right. Like if you peel that layer away and you try to go deeper, I don't know that there was anything that really struck me as like my experience of actually living in the South. Right. Yeah. Right. It's fascinating. So while I don't have any, like, problematic Southern moments in this movie, mm -hmm. there are so many things to talk about in the Bless Your Heart section. <laughs> yeah. I cannot begin to express how upset I was through most of this movie because of how these grown-ass men were treating this 11-year-old little boy. Oh, I know. The adults in this movie are horrific. Well, 
actually, I will say the male adults in this movie yeah. are horrendous, with the exception of Clint. Mm-hmm. It just bullies and other than the ones that were just flat out murdering criminals. Um, but the, the ones who are supposed to be the good guys, the cops, the doctors, the lawyers, you know, they, they were just bullies. Oh, that one cop, the one oh, cop in the hospital. Oh, God. That cop in the hospital, <sighs> I just, it, my, I mean, you're talking about making your blood boil. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah. I was hot. Oh. <laughs> my typing, my for my notes, got into all caps at that point. It was like, how on earth can you, one, you are lying to this child. Yeah. Two, you are intentionally scaring this child who just went through a trauma. Why would you do that? You're supposed to protect people, yep. not traumatize them even further. And he, he just had that horrible smirk. The whole Mm -hmm. time. And he was like, indigent. That means poor. And, you know, they're going to take your brother to a mental ward and tie him up. And, you know, the FBI puts children in prison. And, oh, oh, my God. Like, (laughs) the rage in me for that cop. I just. And and it's like you can see so many sides of the patriarchy in in action in this movie. They just they Mm -hmm. captured it so well that. You know, the the people that had the opportunity to turn around and bully someone else did it. So, like, they may take crap from the person above them, and then they're going to turn around and dish it out to somebody else. And in the end, no one is immune from this. Everybody gets sucked into this, you know, this kind of system. Even Mark, who I adore and love, at 11, is so disdainful of women that, Mm -hmm. you know, he's already become part of this you know this mindset but god the adults in this were just awful awful yeah even the u.s district attorney told this 11 year old kid that he could go to jail yeah and what did he say no you don't need a lawyer lawyers are a pain in the ass like (laughs) oh yeah just so angry and like the way they presented themselves to him like it was an 11 year old boy coming into this room by himself and there were like five or six men Mm -hmm. like all paneled up to like interrogate him in this room without his mother or a social (sighs) worker or an attorney he's in there all by himself and they're they're all Mm -hmm. high-fiving each other and setting up for a press conference just you know completely planning on doing whatever they have to do to get the information out of him with no thought as to this child's actual well-being and oh god it just infuriated me and not one single person in this whole movie i don't even think his mom or reggie did this not one single person tried to comfort him and make sure he was okay after witnessing a suicide because all of the the focus ended up being on Ricky because Ricky was the one who was having the the stre- the post traumatic stress disorder attack, mm-hmm. and so nobody thought to say, "Hey, this eleven year old kid saw somebody die. Maybe we should talk to him. Right. Maybe we should make sure he's okay instead of instantly like attacking him because he has this information that we need, and so all we care about is that information, right?" Maybe he needs to sit down with a counselor. And oh, it just made me so mad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was awful. and it, But it was, I had to keep reminding myself that he was only 11, you know, because he's such a badass and he's so smart. 
he has such great taste in Southern rock and, you know, he's already got an earring and he's already got a penchant for smoking <laughs> and he learns everything from TV and he trusts nobody and he, you know, tries to take care of his mama and his little brother and he's like a fully functioning little adult, you know, person. Right. And and I've just felt bad for him because you, you see this reverse parenting between him and his mother even before he goes through this trauma you know, at the very beginning, she's getting ready to leave for work, and, and he's checking on her, like, got your lunch, got your keys, have you got exact change for the bus? And I'm like, who's the parent here? You know, mm-hmm. him him or her? And um, then when Ricky's in the hospital and, and all this has happened, you know, he tells his mom, I'll think of something to get us out of this, I promise. He doesn't tell her what really happened, and she doesn't even notice that big cut on his face. You know, mm-hmm. someone obviously hit this child and she doesn't even seem to notice it or she just, you know, assumes it was normal roughhousing or whatever. And that it just breaks my heart, like for him not to have a strong adult in his life who's actually taking care of him on a day to day level, not just when something traumatic happens. But, you know, he's he's kind of being the adult of the house in a lot of ways. And he's just a little kid. I mean, you know, he's what 11 is fifth or sixth grade and and he really went through this whole thing without his mom yeah i don't even know that she's aware of how big a deal it was no i don't think so he he doesn't tell her yeah he doesn't tell her and so even at the end when they're getting ready to go into witness protection the only thing she picks up on is we're gonna have a real house Right. You know, it has nothing to do with, oh, we're going to be safe because my child is now an enemy of the mob. Right. (laughs) You know, I don't even know if she understands the full ramifications of what happened. No, I don't think she does. And I don't think she understands everything that Mark went through. You know, I mean, here's a kid who, granted, he's out in the woods when she told him not to be out in the woods. But come on, like. If there's woods like that, we're all going to go. That's just how life works. And he sees a guy trying to kill himself, tries to save the guy because he's a (sighs) stand-up kid. I mean, he's a brave kid. And what does he get for his trouble? He gets locked in the car with the son of a bitch and then a gun pulled on him and then he witnesses a suicide. And then he goes home and calls 911 because he's a stand-up kid. You know, and then he gets harassed by the police. He gets harassed by lawyers. He gets thrown in jail. The mob tries to kill him. They burn his trailer down. Like, how much more unfair is life going to be to this child? And does anyone really understand what's going on with him and the kind of courage that it took for him to stand up to, you know, not just the the mafia, but pretty much every adult that he interacted with? <laughs> mm-hmm. Reggie did. Yeah, I think she did. Maybe that's a good segue into things that tickled us pink. I think it might be. Because <laughs> my tickled pink section is Reggie, Reggie, and more Reggie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was so fantastic. I don't want a lawyer. I hate lawyers. Every lawyer I ever had just shafted me and my mom. I said I need a lawyer. But I don't know about no woman. Well... And this lawyer that chafted you, what was her name? Wasn't no her. It was a he. Right. Well, why is it that you think you need a lawyer? Because I'm Mark Sway. So? You know, the kid who found the dead guy, I'm famous. Don't you read the paper? 
You still haven't answered my question. Because I'm supposed to talk to some Reverend Roy guy in 10 minutes. Reverend Roy Foltrick? Yeah, why does everybody call him that? He loves to quote the scriptures in court, and he knows the Bible better than God himself. Does he win a lot? Always. Why can't everyone just leave me alone? I mean, some sweaty fat guy blows his head Why off. Why did you lie to the police? I didn't. Well, it says here in this paper that you found your own Clifford dead. I did. Uh huh. Dead men don't sweat, now do they? Oh, she's so good. Like, even from the beginning, just as quickly as she picked up on the fact that he was lying. Mm -hmm. Because he said, you know, he was a sweaty, fat lawyer. And she picked up on, well, dead men don't sweat. Mm -hmm. You know, just like right away, she's on the ball. And she has got a smart-ass, sarcastic comment for everything that that stupid Tommy Lee Jones throws at her. (laughs) You know, and then... Oh, that that line she throws out when he's telling her that, you know, she, oh, I don't even remember that she was blackmailing him. And she mm-hmm. said, indict me, Reverend. Yeah. When, uh, when she, <laughs> he said, that's blackmail, Miss Love. And she said, indict me, Reverend Roy. And I, just, yeah. I love the play between them. Um, but she, she takes no crap off of him. And it is so wonderful to see. Mm-hmm. Well, and from the very beginning, her goal is to protect Mark. Right. It really isn't about, you know, making a fool out of the U.S. District Attorney. It's about making sure that what's best for Mark happens. Mm -hmm. And making sure that Mark understands that he needs not to lie and why he needs not to lie. Yeah. And she just, she kind of grounded the movie for me because it gave me something to hold on to that was hopeful. Right. (laughs) Yeah. She did, and and I think that she, I mean, other than just being an absolute delight to watch, her real maternal, and, and I mean, maybe maternal is too strong a word, but just this nurturing, protective care, because she realizes this is an 11-year-old kid who is, you know, pretty exceptional and is in a terrible situation, um, and she kind of gives him love where no one else does you know Mm -hmm. while still being brilliant and good at her job and trying to get him to do the right thing and also trying to protect him which is a really hard balance to walk and she also has to take a lot of crap off of mark you know when he finds out that she's lost custody of her own children and that she used to have a problem with alcohol like he throws that up in her face and he's so ugly to her and he tries to fire her And she just kind of takes it all and keeps him at the center of her focus, you Mm -hmm. know, and she wins his trust by offering to answer all of his questions. You know, she's like, ask me anything and I'll tell you the truth. And she holds up her end of the bargain, you know, and so I think he starts to have faith in an adult, maybe for the first time in his life, because she's offered him, you know, such real honesty and such real compassion, um, and I, I just think she was fantastic. I mean, she did such a great job. Absolutely. And Absolutely. <laughs> when he goes to hire her and he said, how much do you cost? And she said, how much you got? And he gives her a dollar and she takes it. Mm-hmm. I just fell in love with her in that second. Abs- <laughs> yes. Because, again, she sees a kid who needs help. Right. And so she's going to help the kid. Yeah. Excuse me, the client. Yes. No, no, stop calling me the kid. (laughs) 
Oh, so what else besides Reggie? Otherwise, I mean, this is turning into the Ode to Reggie podcast. So well, what I- else besides Reggie tickled you pink in this movie? So Reggie and Mark, really, I think, um, I think that Brad Renfro just did such an amazing job acting and Mark's character in general, just, God, I want to take that child home and build like a pillow fort around him and make him dinner and like tuck him into bed. I just, (laughs) it brought out every mothering instinct I have to want to take care of that child. Um, And I love like the moment between Mark and Reggie when Led Zeppelin kind of becomes their bonding conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. I just he's quizzing her on the name of the albums and she knows all the albums and um and I love that. And when they take Mark to jail and he steals the detective's credit card and then orders <laughs> like fifty pizzas <laughs> from yep. the jail. And when they tell him the total on the phone, he just says, Hey, it's cheaper than last time and like <laughs> I just love that quick wit um that he has and I love how um, he finally starts to show some appreciation for Reggie. Like when he's, they've gotten to the boathouse and, you know, the mob is zooming in on him and Mark's got a gun in his hand and Reggie, like, she's not even worried about her personal safety. She just does not want Mark to shoot. She doesn't want that on his hands, you know, and she's trying to get that gun away from him. And then instead of shooting Barry the Blade right there in front of Mark, she shoots the house behind them, you know, with that, the paranoid neighbor and sets off all the alarms and she keeps showing Mark alternatives to violence, you know, in ways Mm -hmm. to, to kind of rely on your, on your brain. Um, and he finally says, you're a genius, Reggie, you know? And she says, thanks. You're not so bad yourself. And I just (laughs) kind of love that, um, give and take with them. And I like when she negotiates the deal, for the family and she tells um reverend roy she's like write it down a walk in closet like she's just yep. being super specific um and then at the very end when uh clint's talking about mark and reggie said don't tell him he's a kid he'll just get real pissed off <laughs> <laughs> i just thought that was so great so right there were so many good lines in this and um but just kind of that relationship between the two of them and they they kind of gave each other a second chance in a lot of ways that I mm-hmm. thought was really, really well done. And like you said, it, it the movie ends on a hopeful note. You know, we have hope for a better life for everybody in that family. Even though it's really hard earned, it's still hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I loved how Mark, you know, he, he recognized that this means they're never going to see each other again, that they're not mm-hmm. supposed to be allowed to see each other again. But then as he runs off, he turns around and looks at her and says, I'll call you. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, and you just, you know, he will. Oh, yeah. You know, he will. <laughs> He's he not going to follow will. the rules. <laughs> I do. I I did. I love that a lot. So, but I had a couple things that I didn't know where to put them because they weren't exactly bless your hearts and they didn't exactly tickle me pink. Right. One of them was every single character in this movie down to the six-year-old Ricky smokes. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. Everybody smokes. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, my God, I just want a cigarette. Like, it's, it's, it's 
crazy. For well, if you go back in time to 1994, you can smoke too. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so God, they were smoking in the hospital. Yeah, they were smoking in the courtroom. Everywhere. They were smoking everywhere. Everywhere. Um, and it just it just cracked me up. I'm like. Oh my God, everybody. <laughs> it's just really funny. Um, but I think the thing that, that I didn't really know where to put was the very complicated representation of, of motherhood that we get in this movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, we know Mark is 11. Diane's only 27. So she was 16 when she had him. And, yeah. you know, she's had such a hard life. She's been through domestic violence. She's, you know, going from factory job to factory job, trying to support these two kids by herself with, you know, very little education and very little support. And Reggie, in a lot of ways, is more a stronger mother figure to Mark. And you can see Diane, like, she's aware of it and she lashes out at Reggie, despite everything Reggie's doing to help them. She's like, you know, Mark is my son. Stay away. Because there's still this sort of, I don't know, mama bear tendency. But that's the only time you see her protective of Mark in any way is when she thinks there may be another mother figure in his life. And the rest of the time, she's really not standing up for him. Right. She's letting him stand up for her. Right. And then you kind of see, you know, Reggie be this amazing mother figure to Mark. But at the same time, she's having to grieve for the loss of her own children who she's not allowed to see. So we know that, you know, she wasn't always as strong as she is now, even though her custody situation was so unfair. But you know she's getting too attached to Mark from her role as his attorney. And even her friend, the judge, you know, tells her, he's your client, Regina. He's not your child. But I don't know that you could help feeling that way for a kid who needed your help, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I just think she summed it up really well when she said he's never had a break and he's counting on me. You know, like she was going to to show him that someone would come through for him no matter what it took. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end, when she gives him her compass and he says, I love you, Reggie, it kills me every single time. Every single time I just fall to pieces. Like... <laughs> I did not cry. Surprisingly enough, I did not cry. I thought I would, but I think I had some residual anger from the rest of the movie (laughs) that I just wasn't in a vulnerable enough place to cry. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I felt the warm fuzzies kind of welling up in me uh, because it was it was a very nice moment. Yeah. So so I made you watch this movie. Did you like it? I did like it. It was it was really, really good. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. It was hard to watch. The heartbreak that Mark went through, his his fear, his trauma, the way he's being treated. Mm-hmm. God, it was really hard to watch. But it kind of, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It redeemed itself because it did end with hope. Yeah. You know, they ended up doing the right thing. And even, even though... The U.S. District Attorney never apologized or even appeared ashamed of his actions. He really was just trying to do the right thing for, like, this other compartment. Like, he was compartmentalizing a lot. Yeah. Like, he wasn't trying to be a bad guy. Like, he legitimately just wanted the information so that he could solve this other case, you know? Yeah, and if if he could get a major press conference out of it, so much the better. 
<laughs> right. And so at the end, seeing him jump through those hoops to make sure Mark ended up safe and congratulating Reggie on doing a good job, mm-hmm. you know, that was nice. Yeah. It, it doesn't make up for all of the rest of the crap that he did, but it, it kind of helps you see him as a little bit more human. Yeah, I think so, Which too. is nice. Well, it's really funny now that you've raised this question of what makes a Southern movie Southern. I'm really questioning myself, and I don't have an answer to this yet because, you know, I have to think about things forever, of why I like this movie so much. Because if you look at the Grisham collection, and I asked a few people who I'm friends with, like in preparation for this, what do you consider the most Southern Grisham movie? And everybody said A Time to Kill. A Time to Kill. (laughs) Everyone said A Time to Kill. Which is a good movie. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I like the client more. Like, I always have. I like the book better, mm-hmm. and I like the movie better. But I don't know why. So I don't know what it is about this, other than A Time to Kill just has some things that are too painful. But I, So I'm really going to ponder this question that you've raised and see if I can think about that more. Well, I would encourage you to kind of keep them separate, though, because I don't think that just because a movie's not Southern doesn't mean you can't love it. Oh, I agree. It doesn't mean that it shouldn't yeah. be your favorite. You know, just because you're Southern doesn't mean your favorite movie has to be Southern. Right. That's true. But I'm just thinking in terms of this podcast, why did I pick the client over okay. A Time to Kill? And I don't know the answer to that. And so, you know, questions without answers are sort of my favorite thing. <laughs> so I've got to think about it. That's true. <laughs> well, and you never know. We might do A Time to Kill next season. I know we talked about it. <laughs> yeah, we did talk about it. And we're getting kind of close to season two. We only have one more episode in season one. We do. The end is nigh. <laughs> the end is nigh. So what are we watching next, Mandy? We are going to watch The Blind Side next week. Speaking of Southern Mama drama. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and The Blind Side episode will wrap up Southern Fried Pop Culture Season 1. We'd love to hear from you about the Southern movies that you want us to watch and discuss in Season 2, so get in touch. Don't forget, use the hashtag SFPOP to tell us about your experiences growing up in the South, how you felt watching this movie, or, as Kelly just said, what you want to hear us talk about next season. You can find me on Twitter at Mandy K, or you can email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones, at southernfriedscholar.com, or the new Still Dead podcast with Lonnie Diane Rich. And Southern Fried Pop Culture is funded by supporters like you through our Patreon page. For exclusive content and more, please visit us at patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. Thanks to Jazzy Bentley for our amazing theme music. And thanks, y'all. You want to hear just what I think, but I don't want grounds to go big. I've got a lot to say about today's modern art. There's stories and there's counterpoints, and I have got my unique voice. I'm a professor who says, bless your little heart. Southern Fried Pop Culture is an eloquent gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com or visit us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.